Hey everyone, my name is Ryan Tanaka. Welcome to Neuropod. A few months ago, there was an article published on Inverse.com that details many critiques of Elon Musk and the company Neuralink. The article got quite a bit of attention because of the tone of the article. It starts with, Mr. Musk doesn't understand a bit of neuroscience and what is the brain, Miguel Nicolelis tells Inverse, adding that he barely knows where it's located. Nicolelis runs the Nicolelis Lab at Duke University. He's a pioneer in neuroscience, especially in the field of brain-computer interfaces, or BCIs. Unfortunately, the fact that this expert in the field is critiquing the work of Neuralink, there are many who will not grasp the full implications of what Neuralink is hoping to achieve. In this episode, we'll explore controversies associated with Elon Musk's promises and the future of Neuralink and the claims that 1. the company hasn't done anything innovative, 2. is stealing other researchers' work, and 3. is making promises it can't keep. The outline for this episode will start with a summary of who Dr. Miguel Nicolelis is, his criticisms of Elon Musk and Neuralink, his prior work compared to what Neuralink has done so far, and the idea that he and others have laid the foundation for what Neuralink is doing today. Nicolelis is a Brazilian scientist and physician who runs a lab at Duke University. He has a great track record in the field of brain-machine interfaces, neuroscience, and spine injuries. He studied these topics for a few decades, and his lab has showcased some of the earliest trials and breakthrough experiments for BCIs. Professor Nicolelis shares that he immigrated from Brazil to the U.S. because he was unable to find a lab in Brazil that could record multiple brain signals at the same time. Here we have a clip of himself speaking about the first time they recorded brain activity after leaving Dr. John K. Chapin's lab as a postdoc in the early 90s. And what you see here is the first time that we recorded the electrical activity of 100 cells in the y-axis you see. Each line represents the electrical pulses produced by an individual neuron in the cortex of a behaving monkey. And here in this x-axis is time. So for the first time, we could see on the screen of our computers, very old computers, very slow computers compared to what we have today, in the early 90s, what this brain symphony was all about. Here are some tweets Nicolás has shared in the past. Earlier this year, he wrote, Besides, nothing that Neuralink has achieved so far climbs to the level of a real significant breakthrough in the field. It is all more like major copycatting to make media headlines. Nothing impressive at all to those of us who had pioneered the field. Just empty bravado. And here's a tweet from a couple years ago where Max responded to Dr. Nicolelis. Unfortunately, there's some missing context given that the original tweet has been deleted. Max says, We haven't forgotten. The environment of your lab was an important incubator for us. To which Nicolelis responded, Thanks, Max. It is good to hear from you and learn that you appreciated the time you spent in the lab. Best wishes. Another interaction is with Sergei Stavisky, who's an assistant professor at the University of California at Davis in the Department of Neurological Surgery. He says, In fact, the only explicit citation put up on the screen, others were described verbally, was to one of your papers, Miguel. For what it's worth, as an audience member, it appeared that the academic community was well and appropriately recognized. And Nicolelis answered, referring to his ownership of a BMI patent in the U.S., he says, I hope you and the guys are aware that there is a patent held by Duke which covers the entire concept of BMI. Would be nice of you to consider this since any application of the original BMI concept is covered by that patent. 
it is still valid in the U.S. This particular tweet conversation occurred a couple days after the initial Neuralink launch event, during which Max Hodak stated this. Neuralink didn't come out of nowhere. There's a long academic heritage of research here. The cochlear implant has reached millions of patients since the uh, 50s for uh, deaf patients. Um, over 100,000 patients have received deep brain stimulation for Parkinson's and essential trauma and dystonia and now other, other indications. And about 20 patients uh, have received the Utah ray, which is a little 100 electrode rigid uh, metal silicon device. And even though it's, it has very few channels, they've been able to do some really cool stuff with it. There's videos on YouTube of, of BrainGate patients doing things like controlling tablet computers or even texting each other um, through, through Utah rays um, just from these, the small number of electrodes. And so there's and many of the people on the team at Neuralink came from this academic, like, this academic work. Um, I got my start working in a lab at Duke University studying the, uh, how mappings between uh, brain and, and, and like the screen space change. So if you make it so that the joystick goes, like the cursor goes sideways when you push forward instead of up, like how does the brain change the representation? So the point is that there are lots of people that have been looking at this problem from lots of angles for decades. And we're in the greatest sense building on the shoulders of giants here. The last line sums it up best. They're building on the shoulders of giants. Based on the tweet shared, Nicolaus just seems disappointed he has not gotten as much public recognition as the Neuralink team has, despite that they're relatively early in the development cycle. Since he's dedicated such a large amount of his life to the space, it's hard to blame him for being upset. However, I don't think his stance against Elon and the team is fully justified. One thing I've learned after having researched and kept track of Elon Musk over the last several years is that he prioritizes accuracy and therefore speaks extremely literally. For example, if he says, I think we have a shot at producing a million cars, or if progress accelerates, we could have an implant in humans before the end of the year, then that's literally what he means. Based on this clip, the most accurate of headlines would not say, Elon Musk promises to have an implant in humans before the end of the year. Instead, they'd realize he's being serious when he says, if progress accelerates, then they could have an implant in humans before the end of the year. Another observation from researching folks who state public criticisms of Elon is that they often believe he's deliberately misleading the public regarding the current functionality of the projects the team's working on. In this case, he stated multiple times that the primary reason for holding the event is recruiting. So what must he do in order to motivate the best talent to come join Neuralink? He and the team have to share what the potential outcomes are and give a real reason for someone to be inspired by what the team is working on. No one wants to work on something boring. They want to work on something that can have a real impact and show off their usefulness in helping achieve the goals they stated. In the case of Neuralink, the most inspiring message I can think of is that they aspire to have a future where many brain and spine illnesses have been solved. Additionally, Max even went on to add this during the presentation. And so the question is, why not use one of those devices? Why not use a Utah Ray or, or a deep brain stimulator uh, implanted pulse generator? And there's, it's just, in the Utah Ray case, the, the rigid sharp metal electrodes produce a, a fairly strong immune response. And this doesn't end up hurting the patient, but it does mean that you lose the ability to record single spikes over some period of time, usually between one and a couple years. Um, there's also a big percutaneous connector through the scalp. So you need to plug in big external electronics, and you're never really confident that the risk of infection is, is gone for the duration that you have the implant. Um, 
deep brain stimulators solve a, just solve a very different type of problem. They are very effective for some Parkinson's patients, but they have only a couple electrodes, and they're really geared towards injecting large amounts of current, not recording single spikes. Um, so they're really a very different. Uh, the DBS is really just a very different type of um, platform for a di very different type of problem. So we had to go back to the drawing board and start over to uh, build something that met the goals that Elon laid out for us. Um, we knew, as, as Elon mentioned, that whatever we built, we wanted it to be completely wireless. Um, we didn't want any connectors or wires coming through the skin. It had to be something that would last for a long period of time, not something that you'd have to take out at two, three, or, or four years in. Um, it had to have practical bandwidth. So we talk about high bandwidth or ultra high bandwidth. Like what matters is that it, for the task that you're after, there is practical bandwidth that allows you to effectively do that thing, whether that's cursor control or typing or robotic arm or maybe in the future vision. Um, and it has to be usable at home. It can't be something that you go into a, a clinic at the hospital for two hours a week and under tight supervision of technicians plug you into the amplifiers and turn it on. It has to be something that you can live with. And so two and a half years ago, we were nowhere close uh, to any of that. Um, this is a photo of some of the prototypes that we've gone through um, over, that, over that time. So we started on the uh, far left. That's an entirely passive board that has 64 electrodes on it and connects to connectors that go to big external amplifiers. And then we added integrated electronics with our first custom chip. That's also 64, 64 channels. And then there's a big leap to the, the device that Elon showed a photo of earlier. That has 3,072 electrodes in a fully implantable package with just a USB-C port coming out. And then we, uh, we took a step back in channel count because remember we have to optimize safety, longevity, and bandwidth all together. And so in order to optimize some of those other things, we moved to an easier to manufacture system that has 1536 channels and a USB-C port. And those last two are the focus of the paper that uh, we released today. Um, at, and so we've, we've learned a lot from these. We've recorded a lot of data through these. Like these have, are actually used every day at Neuralink to, to record neural data and, and work with it. And they taught us a lot about the architecture that we think was the basis for our first human product that we're calling N1. And the central component of that is the N1 sensor. Earlier in the presentation, he also shared images of plots from a Nicolaus paper published in 2003. The images illustrate that it's possible to infer the position and velocity of mouse cursor control using the electric signals from neurons. I've seen this play out countless times with Tesla and SpaceX. It's been doubters galore since the companies were founded. Early criticisms stated that Teslas were only expensive toy cars for the rich. They would never be profitable because battery cells would never give cars sufficient range. Experts criticized Elon and the team saying that it's impossible to have electric cars and batteries that would support performance matching or exceeding internal combustion engine cars. Maybe at the moment those claims were made, those experts could have actually been correct. But perhaps they failed to estimate future advancements of all aspects of the battery production and electric vehicle manufacturing process. After that, people said they wouldn't be able to charge and range anxiety was too prevalent. Next was talk of Tesla's finances not being in order and that they were burning cash too quickly. After that was talk of competition coming. Next was criticism of Model X, then the Solar City acquisition, then Elon spreading himself too thin with Tesla Energy, and additional factories, the Model 3, quality control, stating his mind on Twitter. There's been a seamlessly never-ending barrage of Elon Musk criticisms, but nevertheless, he always seems to pull through. I believe this is due in large part to Elon's well-known first principles thinking. It's his MO. It's tough to know better than someone who's boiled down things to the most basic principles.
At any given moment, maybe it's reasonably thought to be impossible to do something. But after reasoning up from first principles, thinking about future outcomes tends to clear up. After the April 2021 Neuralink Monkey Mindpong video, the media just went crazy publishing articles about previous work on BCI. Many include opinions against Elon and Neuralink. Let's hear from Dr. Nicolaus about his latest opinions on Elon given at UFMG Summer School on Brazilian Studies this July 15, 2021. People like Elon Musk, who has, has a faint idea where the brain is located. He barely knows where it is located, but he, he, he thinks that he knows what brain-machine interface is capable of doing or not doing. For instance, I can assure you, you are not going to download your brain to a CD-ROM and give it to your mom or to your kids. You are not going to learn French by uploading French grammar directly to your brain. That's what he promised would happen. No, it's not going to happen at all because information is treated and embedded in the brain completely differently than it happens to be processed by a Turing machine or a computer. We are not digital devices. We are, our brains are, if anything, analog, mainly analog. There are, there are digital components, like language is more digital, but information in the brain is embedded in the organic tissue that constitutes the brain. So you cannot extract it. You cannot make juice, memory juice, like he wants to. Perhaps Dr. Nicolaus is right about this specific topic. I personally have no reason to doubt him, as I'm still not very knowledgeable about the brain. However, after countless hours spent listening to Elon, I suspect that Elon is referring to a more advanced version of what we're currently able to do with our phones and the internet. For example, when a couple throws a gender reveal party, Another family member might use their phone to record parts of the celebration and post it online for relatives who couldn't attend the party in person. The visual and audio aspects of that moment in history can live on forever. What would happen if you could add the smell, taste, and touch of the celebration to that recording? Now what would happen if you could add a person's feelings to the recording? With high bandwidth brain machine interfaces, this could become a reality. For the doubters, I urge you to consider what your reaction would have been 20 years ago if someone said you could use a phone that cost $300 to record high-definition video and immediately send it for anyone to view, including someone on the other side of planet Earth, also including someone who wants to see the video 50 years from now. Dr. Nicolaus and others have pioneered the development of brain-computer interfaces and related technologies. He and the people he's worked with have made great advancements that have positively impacted many lives. And it's fantastic that Elon Musk, Neuralink, and others are now able to build off of the prior work and research. Earlier this summer, Dr. Nicolella showcased a clip of work done in 2003 where a monkey uses a joystick to control a cursor. Later in the clip, they take away the joystick and demonstrate use of a brain-computer interface. First, this is a movie of Aurora, our favorite monkey. Uh, playing this video game with a joystick. You can see down here uh, that she's using very fine, smooth uh, movements of the joystick to control the cursor and intercept the target to get the juice. The target is randomly showing up in different locations of the screen, but when uh, she's trying even before the target appears to cheat, to, to guess where the target is going to be, sometimes she may get it, but it's impossible to do that for every trial because, again, there are 32 different possible locations. She cannot imagine where the next location is going to be because it's all randomly assigned. But as you can see, she makes these beautiful trajectories immediately after the target appears to intercept it in order to get uh, the juice reward. Well, 
When we saw that the monkeys were highly proficient in this task, or this monkey was, we moved to the next level. So we removed the joystick, we turned on the brain machine interface, and now every movement that you will see of this cursor on the screen is generated by a robotic hand that is controlling the uh, movements or producing the movements of the cursor on the screen under the control of the raw brain activity of this brain that was basically manipulated by the computer models to extract the parameters that are needed to produce this type of motion. No joystick, no body movement, but the monkey continues to play. Even the guesses are re recorded. You can see that even the guesses are well represented. And the monkey is here for the first time in history, executing a motor task by liberating uh, its own brain from the limits of its physical body. Is imagining trajectories and our brain machine interface is now capable of extracting what is important in this mental elaboration of these trajectories and transforming these in digital commands that a machine can understand. And the machine is now controlling the movement of the cursor. Uh, you don't see the robot because the robot is in a different room, not to scare the monkey because it's a big industrial robot. Uh, and, but in reality, you could use any actuator as you're gonna see in a moment. Does this clip look familiar to parts of the Neuralink Monkey Mindpong demonstration from earlier this year? The principle of reading the electric signals from the neurons has remained the same. However, as you might imagine, there have been advancements in understanding how, why, where, and when neurons fire. Additionally, the sheer ambitiousness of the Neuralink team has not been seen before. Some devices for recording from or stimulating the human brain are used for deep brain stimulation or DBS. This treatment has helped patients with illnesses such as Parkinson's disease, essential tremor, and dystonia. According to the Neuralink website, DBS leads only have a small number of electrodes, less than 10, and are much larger than our threads. For example, DBS leads have only 4 to 8 electrodes and are about 800 times larger. Neuralink is also designing the link to provide unprecedented scale with over 1,024 channels of information from the brain. Imagine starting a company and having the guts to tackle a highly technical problem and develop solutions that are 100,000 times to a million times better than the state-of-the-art devices. I suspect that most people simply can't comprehend the incredible work the Neuralink team is doing. Maybe one day we'll do an episode just counting to 100,000 to demonstrate the advancements in a concrete, easy-to-understand way. In 2018, Dr. Nicolelis published commentary in the book Think Tank, 40 Neuroscientists Explore the Biological Roots of Human Experience, from Yale University Press. He shares that it's impossible for any machine to reproduce any brain-like properties in full detail, but that our brains may start to mimic machines in the future. Or in his own words, although I'm convinced that we can dismiss the possibility that a digital version of the human brain will ever be built, I would like to raise a much more concrete and troublesome scenario. The possibility that, as a result of overexposure to digital systems, our brains may, through the process of neuronal plasticity, begin to mimic the operation and logic of these digital systems simply because of the considerable rewards offered by emulating this type of machine-like behavior. Although he says it's impossible to download our brain, he immediately realized some of the long-term potential for brain-computer interfaces more than 20 years ago. In the first paragraph of the introduction, Dr. Nicolaus writes, In July 1999, Nature Neuroscience, then a recently launched scientific journal, published a manuscript entitled Real-Time Control of a Robot Arm Using Simultaneously Recorded Neurons in the Motor Cortex. The result of one more collaboration between my laboratory and John Chopin's, 
This paper launched the field of brain-machine interfaces, or BMIs, in earnest, and caused a major sensation in the neuroscience community. Curiously, the name brain-machine interface would only appear a year later, coined in a reviewed paper entitled Actions from Thoughts that I wrote for Nature, following a request by one of its editors, Charles Jennings, who happened to be the first editor-in-chief of Nature Neuroscience. In 2003, he and his lab conducted animal experiments documenting the brain-to-brain -brain communication between two rats. So this is a, a video of uh, this uh, task. Here is when the animal gets light to go to the left. A bar press, this is the encoder. Now we get a message from the encoder transmitted to the decoder. Both lights turn on so he doesn't know where to go. He's checking the message and he decides to go to the left. That happens in 70% of the trials. So we can get these animals to respond correctly with very simple messages. There's only one channel uh, that we tested when we started. This is to show you that he can do it to the right too. So the encoder got the correct message and he's now pressing the right lever to get the reward. What you see in the background is the brain. Is the brain activity of the encoder that we are broadcasting to the second animal. And I have to tell you, there are many interesting caveats of this experiment. First of all, when we did this same test using the whiskers, the animal had to touch something with the whiskers and decide whether it was narrow or wide. And then we transmit this information to the second guy, and the second guy goes there and decides. What we notice in the brain of the decoder was the emergence of a representation of the whiskers of the first guy. So in addition to having a map of the whiskers of its own body, which everybody, every rat has, cells there were starting to represent whiskers of the encoder, like you had two maps embedded in one piece of cortex. Dr. Nicolelis, of course, has an informed opinion, but we currently don't know what the future may hold. Given Elon's prior track record, I believe it's too early to dismiss the claims Neuralink makes about their future ambitions. Additionally, debates like this are quite common. For example, when thinking about AI as an existential threat, opinions vary broadly. The heart of the frustrations Dr. Nicolaus seems to have are that 1. Elon Musk and Neuralink make claims that are unachievable, and 2. He has not gotten adequate recognition for his decades of work. Although Neuralink is attempting to solve problems at a scale that has never been attempted before, it seems too early to dismiss their claims. Elon Musk has demonstrated time and time again that his reasoning, vision, and ability to work with other fantastic team members is unmatched. Additionally, in the public events, Neuralink has not made the claim that they're solely responsible for the progress of brain-computer interfaces. Max Hodak even pointed out that the team is building on the shoulders of giants. Plus, he showed a video of work from the Nicolaus lab that he was once part of. The Neuralink team has made great progress up to now, and has custom designed plenty of aspects of the complete brain-machine interface development process. The Neuralink chip, the R1 robot, and the electrode threads are just the highest level representations of their ambitions. The robot is a brain sewing machine with micron scale accuracy. They have also contributed to improving the field using engineering techniques and experimenting in the field in an impressive short period of time. They outpace even the most advanced labs in speed and engineering. Brain-related science is still new. There's much to be discovered and a long road ahead for Neuralink and others, but we cannot dismiss the talent and effort being exerted to help the company make progress.
Let's finish this episode with a recent clip of Dr. Nicolaus sharing his latest thoughts about Neuralink in an interview with Laden Juracek on the Neural Implant Podcast. And I'm still not convinced that Neuralink is for real. I don't see much besides a techie gizmo development uh, kind of idea and a lot of fanfare and, and sci-fi, bad sci-fi by Elon Musk. I'm not very fond of the projections he makes because... 90% of them will never happen. They simply cannot happen. It's not just that it's difficult or it will take time. It's basically against the laws of physics. And that's a little difficult to, to overcome, even with a lot of money. I have seen better effort in, in terms of more serious efforts. And the Pong, if the pig had not convinced me, the Pong convinced me that, hey, sure. Uh, because first was, oh, we did the first wireless. It was not. First wireless was done in our lab and published in Nature Methods on the cover of the magazine. And the guys who were in the lab at that time, they knew about it. So that was not the first. Then the second was, well, is this large scale thing that allowed to do, and I see a Pong game. Not, and I am not the only one. Most of the, the people in the community, researchers, were not that convinced. Uh, that anything new had showed up over there. What do you think about Dr. Nicolaus's opinions about Elon Musk and Neuralink? Do you agree with him? Let us know in the comments. My name is Ryan Tanaka, and this episode was edited by Omar Olivares. See you again in the next episode.